previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So my home course is Montauk Downs, one of the great public courses in the country. Here's the real reason I'm writing. I'd like to invite you and your son Michael to play at the Downs. I'd arrange everything, including accommodations and fine dining. So what do you think? Can I entice you to make your way to the lovely east end of Long Island? Now, I'm unfamiliar with Montauk Downs. I guess that's further out than the Hamptons courses, because Montauk, the next stop is Europe. (laughs) It's going to be a long drive for you. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. If you live in Washington, D.C. or environs, 90 degrees by Friday. 90 degrees. See you around. That was a nice spring we had, right? Make sure you have plans for this afternoon. (coughs) Lasted an hour. Yeah, make sure you have plans. Because the weather app won't won't let you just have a nice weekend. There's a warning that there's tornado activity in Washington. Exclamation point. That's sort of scary. All right, a couple of things I want to get to. um, Because nobody we're going to talk to. Well, maybe Barry. Barry will be on. Barry and Wilbon. But Wilbon's not going to talk about the Nats. There was the... Yesterday in the Nats game, I'll just say this, um, because I was going back and forth with Chuck Todd about this, and Chris Eliza, actually, on separate texts. There was a worth-the-price-of-admission moment yesterday, and it came in the bottom of the fifth inning. Justin Verlander, who's going to the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. he's going to – there's just no – there's no doubt. There are three pitchers out there now who are going to the Hall of Fame. Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer. They're going to the Hall of Fame. And someday maybe Juan Soto will go to the Hall of Fame. It's awfully soon. You don't want to say anything like it, but someday maybe. Juan Soto is the best hitter the Nats have. The score was two to nothing, I believe, in the bottom of the fifth. Patrick Corbin, who had gone four innings very, very efficiently, got tagged for a home run, two-run homer, I guess, in the top of the fifth, top of the fifth inning. Patrick Corbin, has he won any games this year? He has not, which is why I was a little surprised wow. on Saturday night when Bob Carpenter, late in the game, teased the Verlander-Corbin duel. Yeah, as if it just was... Just considering how well Corbin had been pitching right. recently. Yeah, in the, recently better. meaning in the last two starts. Better. But I will say this. Four years ago, that would have been something that you could tease. Now you can't, because Patrick Corbin was one of the worst pitchers in baseball last year, and Verlander didn't pitch for two years because he had Tommy John surgery. Anyway, Verlander is back and doing well. Verlander um, had given up no hits until the fifth and then gave up a couple of hits. His pitch count is over 100, over 100 into the fifth inning. There are two on and there are two out, and Juan Soto comes up. This is the classic righty-lefty circumstance, and Juan Soto has, if nothing else, a great eye. He does not get cheated. When he swings, it's because he knows this is a strike coming. He taps back to the mound. In fact, he had three tap backs the entire day, two to Verlander and one to the first baseman, I believe. They shut him down. They shut Soto down. But that's, you know, that's the anticipatory moment. That happens for you and you watch. You don't, you don't move. You watch that because this is greatness. This doesn't happen all that often. As I said, there's only three guys going to the Hall of Fame for certain, only three pitchers. So when you get a chance to see them against a great hitter, right? You see yeah, it. and Soto's had a, gr- a great week. He's had home, big home runs. Big. And you just look at the Nats' schedule where they've, they've had, you know, they've been playing high-quality teams when you look at the Angels, Mets, and now the uh, the Astros. I think that's his last pitch. I don't have a box in front of me, but I think that was pitch 104 or 105 he, or something he like got, that. His pitch count was up early. He was in the 60s by like the third inning. Third inning. He, he, he did not have a single inning where it was less than 20. He had a lot, of, whereas Corbin was getting out in you know 12 to 15. Anyway, I wanted to talk about that. The Nats did win one of the three games. Finally, Nelson Cruz hit, and Yadiel Hernandez has been hitting. Um... I wanted to bring this up. Well, let me bring this up now. Dan Byrne, open for the who in Memphis. I have two emails to talk about. One is from Aaron in Nashville. Next time we play the I Was There game, I'll see Tony's Flutie game and raise him. I was there when Dan Byrne opened for the who. (laughs) Two days earlier, I'm sitting in my office in Nashville when my phone pings with a text that says, I'm opening for the who in Memphis on Friday and would be happy to put you on the guest list. Dan. Now, the typical TK show-related invitation is to a wedding in Iowa that was three weeks ago, some far-flung private golf course, or an invitation for Solicit to eat it. But this one I was actually going to do. So I loaded up the excited 18-year-old, the less excited 13-year-old, and rolled three hours west to see our friend Dan win over an audience of thousands with wit and charm and humility. 
Music's a funny thing. I watched and listened up and down my row and around my section as folks murmured, what's his name again? Burn? His lyrics are really great. And by 7.57, he had him singing along. Anyway, a blast to see real-world connections from a little old DC sports podcast. Here's to gathering in large crowds again and more of these to come. And there is a picture of Dan Byrne on stage opening for The Who. And that's a good picture. That's a good picture. Brandon Bowker, or used to be Brandon Bowker, he's now Brandon Costello, says, I open for Dan Byrne, Dan o Byrne opens for The Who. That feels right to me. <laughs> and then there's one more picture, and it's simply Dan Byrne with Roger Daltrey. This is Roger Daltrey of my generation. This is Roger Daltrey, kids. Dan Byrne and Roger Daltrey, and it just says, it went well. We're so happy for Dan Byrne. We're so happy Isn't for Isn't that Dan fantastic? Byrne. Yeah. Michael, you had some birthday parties, and the entertainment was interesting to me. Can you talk about it? Sure. So we, we now have an almost five-year-old and almost three-year-old, and I'm sure the parents of this set uh, have experienced this, where you start to get the doubled-up birthday parties, two in a day, maybe up to three in a day, and then it comes down to, are you, are you splitting the kids up? We were very lucky in the early portion of the day, Henry's classmate, Avery, who uh, Avery has an older brother, Caleb, who's, who's with the Bootster, uh, they had a petting zoo at their house, which was... Uh, it took the boys a while to warm up to it, but by the end, I think Henry was actually living his watership down dream. Uh, and <laughs> so they had big fat rabbits. The, yeah, big, big rabbits. Right. Not sure what those rabbits were eating. Uh, so that was wonderful. And then in the afternoon, uh, it, there was a birthday party for the older kids. And so I took Walker to uh, one of his classmates, uh, Lucy, to a birthday party that had real live entertainment. This is the first live show i've seen in years these kids are five these Four kids are five. five and they had the great zucchini have you heard of the great zucchini i had not until you told me some great quotes uh from from local local tv from the newspaper a blend of comedy uh misdirection magic i, I was really hoping that nigel was going to come out <laughs> for the after after dark crowd just yes. with a lit cigarette hey kids <laughs> uh no, and so a lot of it, I always think of things in chunks of 10. You know, having been a high school teacher, you sort of are thinking how you, whether it's a warm up, whether you're introing a lesson, how you're trying to move kids, whether it's through a, you know, 50 or an hour, 20 minute lesson, how you're keeping them engaged and how you can keep five year olds engaged. They have for no attention. 30 span. or 40 minutes. And a lot of it's, Tony, why don't you come up here? And the, the giggles and wiggles are all there. And it's, you know, you, you hold up, uh, well, you hold my magic wand. Let's all throw some magic dust at it. And as soon as, you know, you get the magic wand. Of course, the the wand falls apart, and the magician or the the comedian looks away, and the kids are going wild because how can it possibly work for him, but not work for their friend from school? So everyone gets to to play a part, except for our son, who was very happy just to sit in the back. But I've never so it probably within the last year with screen time, you start to see your kid's sense of humor, and he's now cracking jokes at the breakfast table. But to see him laughing, but I want to tell you heartedly, <laughs> he's so great. To see him laughing wholeheartedly with his friends, you're like, I'm just so happy for him in this moment. That's great. So the great, the great zucchini, zucchini, this is what he does. He is an adult. Yes, he entertains for small children. I don't know what I is. I guess he can't go more than a half hour or so. I have no it felt span. it felt like thirty minutes, and then you start to do some activities like the the what you do in you know PE class. Like okay, everyone get on the wall, and we're gonna play. He doesn't get know, him to sing game. or anything. He's not like he doesn't have a guitar. There's no guitar. It's it's a it's sort of improvisation. I'm sure there is there is a loose arc to how he wants to engage the kids, how he wants to identify the birthday kid. You know, involved older siblings. Uh, you know, but no, it's it's. It's really just using a few simple props and just having really good timing. And he goes and from kid to, to kid. I mean, if you, if one parent hires him, more parents hire him. Because I think I think there's a there's a time where you might see him two or three times in a day. Right. Like you might just go from one neighborhood party to the next, and I'm sure he's booked up. You know all year round. Does he have his own van and does he smoke in the van and drink in the van and like Krusty the Clown? Is he, does he have a dark side? It was so great. What, so great. What's so wonderful about Or he works blue at yeah. night. Right, yeah. He goes to the it's improv. The, the Vegas style show. Yeah. I, I just hope we find out that he, he that he's an occasional listener. It's just... Very it's, impressed with the great zucchini. But he does not give a real name, although I'm sure for his checks... Yeah, I'm sure with the sure check you gotta clears. pay him. Yeah. yeah. It's capital Z. Yeah, that's a, it's two C's. <laughs> I was so happy to find that out, that there are people... Because I, I know from my past life experiences that there are people who entertain children with songs. Yes. They sit around and they do songs. And that's 
that's an art form that you can translate that to any age. But it's a lot harder to enter to be a magician or a comic and keep kids engaged without an instrument. Without the prop. Yeah, that's pretty good. You can at least control it. You you at least know if if things start to go south, I can bring it back. I can always play an extra verse. The great zucchini. Poetry reading is always exciting for kids. Louise Gluck, (laughs) she does five-year-old parties. (laughs) Talks about existential dread so that the kids can go home and want to kill themselves. Uh, so we have a, another bottle of Big Nose Kate. You brought that for me. Yes. It's amazing how that works out for you. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Well, still waiting on things like sneakers and gummy bears. And <laughs> Do you know that yes. Albany's gummy bears are now at the Safeway? They're really good. Yeah. And they have gummy worms. Yes. They're all over the place. I'm not a big gummy worms fan. It takes, it's, Is it a context thing? Like if you're at the movies, gummy worms are okay? It takes too long. You like the, the small bears. Yeah, I don't want to easily consumable. Keep chewing this thing for an hour. <laughs> you never so want to feel like of gummy bear a braces. Michelin tire or something <laughs> like that after a while. All right, let's take a break, right? Um, sure. Michael Wilbon, when we return. Wilbon was at this Phoenix game last night. What a gag Oof. by the Phoenix Suns. What a gag. I believe he was at that game. I want to see how he spins this. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Leonard Ramos, who writes, My son Jacob Ramos has been impressing me with some of his latest music projects. He's an engineer by day, but he loves writing and performing country music. I was getting my degree from the University of Nevada in Reno when he was born. We currently live in Bakersfield. Yes, that Bakersfield, the hometown of both Merle Haggard and Buck Owens. Jacob's into the Bakersfield sound they made popular, and he wants Bakersfield to be a country music capital once again. I hope you like his songs. That's pretty good. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Really? This is Jacob Ramos. This is a song called That Summer. We'll play him later in the show as well, and he plays in Michael Wilbon. And I'll just start with this. You told me on Friday you would be at Game 7 in Phoenix. I assume you were at Game 7 in Phoenix. Yes, I was. That's one of the worst gagging performances I have ever seen in my life, and I watched the first half. It was 57-27 at the half. The home team had 27 This is not a team new to the playoffs. They were in the finals last year. They won the first two games of this series handily and then got their brains beat out in a bunch of games. I know you like them personally, and I know you like that team. Have you ever seen a gag worse than that? It's not even gag doesn't begin to describe what what we saw. Gag Gag is too easy. Um... I've probably been the 15 to 18 game sevens in the NBA in my life, covered them. So I've been courtside or in the, in the building. I've probably been the seven or eight, maybe 10 game sevens in the NHL. Maybe, yeah, probably more like 10, 10 to 12. Right. Right. I've been to game sevens in Major League Baseball probably 10, but more in the NBA, probably maybe 20 in the NBA. Um. I have never, no one, no one's ever seen that before. It's it, 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 gag. Gag doesn't address this. Um, it, it, it was the most bizarre event, game seven I've ever been to. Never been to, ever seen on TV, but to, but to be there in person. And people can't, you know, everybody's going to say because they, they're, they're charged with the responsibility of answering questions immediately, what happened? They don't know what happened. They don't know what happened. It's going to take days and a lot of soul-searching before the Phoenix Suns, players, coaches, staff, 
executives figure out what the hell happened. It's going to take days because they're going to have to sit and talk to each other, sit and talk to themselves, have sleepless nights. They had no spirit, none, zero. They had no spirit. Choking is when you miss free throws down the stretch or you, you know, you don't, you, you, you don't perform, you miss shots, you... This, 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 that's not this. Luka Doncic had the same number of points at halftime as the Suns. 27. Wow. Okay? This is, this, this choke doesn't gag, doesn't have anything to do with what happened last night. It was a franchise that has been a model in a lot of ways in terms of the basketball team. A model franchise. In that you have true professionals who act that way with each other, toward the coach, toward the people in the town. The people here love the Suns. They do watch the Cardinals. It's fun. The Cardinals, the Cardinals, you know, don't have any real impact on the whole league. The Suns are a team that people point to and say, yeah, them, those guys. And this has been going on for two-plus years. This really started in the bubble before Chris Paul got here, when they won every game in the bubble. And they have Devin Booker, a guy who is beloved here. They add Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton rounds into something they like. They have Monty Williams. Monty Williams is a grown man. He has twice been coach of the year. This is a gag. Does everything to do with this? This is a meltdown that has never been seen in professional basketball. Never. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks lost a series when they were the number one seed. That's not this. This is game seven in your home. Yeah, yeah. Okay? When everybody on that, when you're the only team in the league that won 60 games this year, the only one, you, you lapped the field. You have people who are responsible and reliable. This isn't a team of Kyrie Irvings. So they don't know what happened. I was out. I, I went to get a bite last night after the game and, and ran into a, a person who's a member of the party of the team. And he just came over to my table, and it looked like, of course, you know, they'd just seen a car wreck. And there's no, there's no here's what happened. Let me talk about the pick and roll. No, 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 no. They were outscored by Luka Doncic in the first half, the whole team. Two guys who, on my ballot, were top ten in the league. Devin Booker, who I had top five in the league. And, and there were people, he got MVP votes. I voted him top five in the league. And I had Chris Paul sixth or seventh. So he was on my second team, All-NBA. You have all of that. You have a team that won 64 games? A record. A record. They won more teams in Charles, games than Charles Barkley, more than Paul Westfall did in his day, more than any Suns team ever. And they had, it was as Tony somebody had sucked the soul out of them when they arrived at the arena. So, so, so most people will have no idea how to explain or how to even ask what happened to them. And I guarantee you they don't know yet. Over the coming days, they'll, they'll, they'll start to piece it together and figure it out. But today, this morning, at, 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 you know, at this hour in the desert, they don't know. It's interesting in this regard. They had won home games, all three home games to that point, by an average of 19 points. Um, I really thought they would win. Chris Paul had, was minus 41. The, I saw on SportsCenter, it's the worst game he's ever had in his life. In his yeah. life. Yeah. This guy is a, an all-pro guard many, many times over. It's the worst game he ever had in his life. Devin Booker, I thought you told me you voted number two for MVP two. at one I point. Yeah, yeah, it was three yeah, for I 11. Three for 11. Don't, I mean, the he, number, tell him, tell him, these are pros. These are great the, pros. The wow. numbers don't ref, you, you have to get past the numbers. The, the numbers don't reflect what happened. It, it, they were as, it was as if they had all taken sleeping pills before they walked out of the locker room. And they, they just, they were out there. It was like a movie. They were zombies. The numbers don't, they, you, you, can, you can describe some games, most games, most any athletic event. That's what people try to do. 
I'm telling you, I'm sitting there. This is the this is the only game seven of its kind in basketball history. Don't tell me three four eleven. It's no. I understand what you're saying. Failure, the massive failure of spirit. Most most times address that. Let's go back to Philadelphia. Maybe it was game five and whatever game it was where Philadelphia Mm -hmm. didn't show up at all. Didn't show up at all. And most of the time, if you're a veteran sports writer, the first thing you do is you blame the coach. You say, well, the coach didn't get them ready. They they just weren't ready. But, it, you know, Monty Williams knows what he's doing. You know, he he knows the pulse of his team. So then you start blaming stars. And the stars stunk. But everybody stunk. It's just... It, it was amazing to me. Prior to the game, I was watching TNT, and and this surprised me. You probably didn't see it because you were in no, the I arena. Did not. I was in... Both Shaq and Kenny picked Dallas. Yeah, I was very surprised at this. And Charles said, "Let's go Phoenix," because he played there. But it wasn't enthusiastic. You know what I mean? It was like, let's yeah, go, totally Phoenix. It wasn't, I think Phoenix is going to win this. It was, let's go, Phoenix. It was, I mean, it, 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 again, this is different for Charles. And not just that Charles. Charles only played here four seasons, <clears throat> which people don't even realize. Charles Barkley played here four seasons. But in that time, Charles Barkley became, <sighs> I mean, he is, he is, if he's not the most popular player in Suns history, he's in the top three. And he lives here. He's still the face, in a lot of ways, of the Phoenix Suns. And Charles knew from what he saw. Look, I, I told you the other day, I said on PTI, when you have a great player, and Luka Doncic is the best player in this series. Oh, yeah. He is. You, and by the way, he's, he, again, he's in my top five. I had Luka fifth, I think, in, in my first team of, of, of All-NBA. When you have a player that great, and you have another team where something's going wrong. That guy can beat you. This is basketball. I said to you, Tony, you're the one who taught me early in my life, you and Bob Ryan and Lupica and, and of course, coaches. You guys said to me, hey, when you're covering this stuff, you're covering this league, a great player can beat you every, every right. time. He He's got to be a guard, but he can beat you. He's, He's got to have the ball in his hands. Or, or maybe, you know, there's an exception for Moses Malone or Kareem. Yeah. There's an exception for certain guys like that. And it's, it's again, Tony, this is a massive failure. This is no one person. This is the whole outfit, the whole team, the whole franchise. They, they, they lay the egg doesn't even begin to describe what they did. Oh, no, it's terrible. It the worst game of its kind, meaning game sevens, as far as I know in the history of basketball, I know that. And if people want to quantify because people are so, you know, slavishly devoted to numbers, and they don't you fall into that because you are not slavishly devoted no. to numbers. No. There are ways, there are events that you know in your life have to be explained because you look at it and you know from experience what you saw. When you saw Michael Spinks, and Mike Tyson, you oh. need numbers to describe no. what happened. No, you you looked at Michael Spinks's eyes in the corner and you said, "This is not going to last long." <laughs> yes, not yes. long. Okay, not long. That's uh-uh. right. So, so this was epic. Twenty when it was, when it got to twenty. So I, I, I'm sitting with a with a friend who's in the game, and I, I'm, I'm sitting in a suite. I'm not going to say exactly where I'm sitting, in, but I'm sitting with people who to this 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 outcome is really important. And I said, approaching 20, look at me, and I said, we're getting to the point at 18, 16, 18, where there's no coming back. And they're not even arguing with me because the sons have no pulse. Again, it's like a movie. It is night of the sleeping of the whatever, walking dead. And then, Tony, you look at the scoreboard. You're in Phoenix. You're in the you're in yeah. the home of the number one seeded team in the league this year. Yeah, and again, and, and a team. Thirty. This is not a team new to the playoffs. They no, went to the finals last year. Knuckleheads. No, no. No, so this is a team where awful. Chris it's awful. Paul often. I, I, I'm gonna tell you this. Chris Paul often, even though his family's in Southern California, where his children are in school, and you understand why 
he didn't pick up his family. One of the reasons why he wanted to come here and not be in the other city of Philly or New York or someplace is that his family's in Southern California. He can get to see them, and they can get to see him. And Chris Paul will often can't pass up a trip to Southern California to see his own family to get the guys together in his house and have a chef come and do the dinner in, in his home. And they will watch all the games, and Chris Paul will say, no, 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 no. You're not going to the club. You're not going out. You're not going to get chicken wings, if you remember that. You're not doing that. We're going to stay here. We're going to watch film. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to be a team. That's what we're going to do. And for two years, they've done that. We're not talking about knucklehead dudes who have to throw incense around the arena when they get there. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about that. And they, it looked like they were injected with like some sort of death pill before they got to the arena, when they got out there. And you're just like, oh my God, Tony, they missed open layups. Yeah, yeah. That you, yeah. It, 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 it yeah. doesn't, so, so today when we discuss it again on PTI, I'm going to say to you what I'm saying now. There's no numbers. Yeah, you know, I don't know if Eric and Matt watched the game. I suspect they saw a little bit of it. There's no, this is not going to be addressed with numbers. There are going to be some explanations out there because people have talked on the record. And they'll talk some more. There are going to be sources saying. And I know that it, the question will come up, was Chris Paul hurt? Yes. But a, a lot of guys and great players are hurt this time of year. Was Chris Paul hurt? Yes, he was. Do I know the extent? You know you know. I talked to Chris Paul. You know that I, that I talk to the Suns and around them, have some sense privately, that was some other things that may go on in the basketball team. It, it ain't scandal. It, it could be physical injury. But even that doesn't address what happened last night. It doesn't. So the playoffs go on. They're, they're going to they're gonna have to have days. Tony, it was so bad. Like, I got a text. First of all, I got over 100 text messages. I got more text messages last night about that game in real time than I have ever gotten about any sporting event since texting started for me, which is 2000, what, 2002 or three? It's 20 years. There were so many more. I'm talking Hall of Fame players that we both know and talk about all the time. And they are watching this saying, are you in the arena? Are you seeing this? I've never seen this. I'm talking about Hall of Famers in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Are you seeing this? There's no explanation for this. So, again, one more time, this is a massive failure of spirit. I had one Hall of Fame player text me and say, I don't know that you can bring them all back together and put them on the floor in November. Wow. I had not thought of that while I'm watching, but after the game, I started getting things to that effect, and yeah. I'm just like, wow. And I, I know Chris Paul is your friend. Yes, he but is. But he's now 2-3 and three in Game 7s at home, 3-5 and five overall in Game 7s. He had the worst game of his life. Of his yes. life. Yes. And, and, you know, you just say, yes. wow, he's never going to win a title now. But this was a chance. He had the best oh, team going in. Yeah, yeah. He's never going to win team. a title. He's not. They had gotten healthy. They had gotten past Booker. Yeah. Being injured. Yeah. Um, wow, it's a wow. All right. It's it's yeah, Tom, it's a it's a it's a it's a epic yeah. epic epic failure. In I was sport. gonna talk about hockey and the other game and all of that. I'm, I I won't even bother because you you're involved in this. I, we all watched a lot of that stuff as appetizers. They were appetizers yeah. for me for going to Game Seven. I, I feel very fortunate to have the career I do that I've been able to sit courtside and at and rink side and ringside, it's not Game 7, but you know it's Game 7, for these unbelievable athletic events in my life. They're unbelievable. And so the, the hockey was an appetizer. I watched stuff. I watched elimination games, Game 6s and 7. I watched some of the caps. You know, and the hockey had sometimes get lost in Keller, who were calling say it's overtime, turn this game back on. I figured you turned off and I had. And it was all great. The last three days have been yeah, unbelievable. Great weekend. Friday, Saturday, sport. Sunday was great. Yeah. Was but, great. But, but, but then to go to that, it took, I'm going to say it took 45 minutes in real time to 
to sit there and say, and by the way, the Dallas Mavericks, they're good. They're fine. They're not the 96 Bulls. They're not the 83 Sixers. No, they're no, not no. the 2016 Warriors. They're not the Pistons bad boy or the Celtic Birds Celtic. They're not any of that. They're not Showtime. And they just, another team at their hands was dismantled in a way now that the franchise, which once again, last in tone, has been a model for how you put a team together without winning the lottery straight up. No, it's a been a model. Yeah, it's been great. All right. And I have a question everything. I'll talk to you later. I'll right, talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Heartfelt. Yeah. We'll take a break. Uh, Barry's Verluga. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, we are playing Jacob Ramos. Um, it's really good. Yeah. You can find his social medias and streaming platforms, profiles through his website at jacobramosmusic.com. This is called Pour You a Mojito. This guy's really good. <laughs> Michael, fantastic. thank God for his dad sending in his stuff. <laughs> Michael, if people want to send in their original music like this, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And I do just want to point out, Jacob actually emailed us as well and said it's, it's, okay. it's okay. Yeah, so yeah. you can't just send in someone else's music without their permission. Barry Zuluga joins us now. There's a lot to talk about, but I think we're going to start with whatever you may have heard or however you may feel, because you go to major golf events for the Post. The PGA is a major golf event. Southern Hills this coming week in Oklahoma. Tiger Woods has won there. Phil Mickelson has declined to play, Barry. I don't know why. Do you know why? What do you think of this? You know, Tony, it's kind of a mystery. And it's not just um, Phil Mickelson has declined to play. It's, it's Phil Mickelson, the defending champion, um, who won his sixth major at Kiowa, the PGA, last year, um, in kind of an out-of-nowhere performance, um, has completely stepped away from the game. And, and uh, you know, it's obviously in the wake of his comments about uh, the Saudi Arabian-backed um, alternate tour that is being um, put on by Greg Norman uh, and will begin play in, in June in, with an event in, in England. Um, but I don't understand what the re-entry strategy is for Phil. If he skipped the Masters, where he obviously is a past champion, he, that means it's his favorite week of the year. Every year he shows up there and says, this is my favorite week of the year. It's a place he feels like he can hit the ball <clears throat> all over the place and still contend. Um, he sits that out. He's now skipping the next major at which he's the defending champion. And is, is the re-entry strategy then to show up at the LIV golf alternate super league thing that, that Norman is putting on um, as, as essentially a, a cash grab for, for some star players who want to sign up. Is that the re-entry strategy? Because to me, that makes it seem worse and, and more crass. Um, and, and he's, his comments were incredibly crass, um, mentioning, look, this is a, a regime that is scary. Um, this is a regime that killed the Washington post journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, but I have, I have to use it as leverage. It was just incredibly, incredibly insensitive. And then to maybe perhaps, and I'm supposing, reappear in public life at, at that venue rather than, you know, at a place where um, you're, you're playing in a major tournament that you just won. I, I'm not sure I understand the strategy there. I have to say this editorially. There, it's a no win. You cannot defend anything about Saudi money. You just, you cannot do it. Greg Norman, it's not a question of putting a foot in his mouth. It's, it's, uh, you cannot say, I'm going to take their money, don't worry about it, which is what they're, it, you just can't do it. It's not defensible on any level. So everybody who tries to do that, Greg Norman, Phil Mickelson, anybody else, they can't possibly do it. So you, I was wondering if you thought he'd play the U.S. Open. You think he'll show up in London? Wow. I don't, I mean, I, I don't yeah, know. That's a, well, that's the whole point, Tony. Like, if 
either like why would he show up at the U.S. Open as opposed to the PGA? More time has passed. The tension is, has has built, and you're. I mean, you cannot drive home the point you just made enough. This is blood money. And, he can't and Greg do it. Norman is he's hiding he says, Well, this the entity that's sponsoring this is uh is private uh it's private Saudi money. That's not true. It's just not true. It's it's the investment arm of the Saudi Arabian government. Yeah. Um and, and you know, you talk to experts about this stuff, which which I have because I wrote about it a couple of months ago. Um you know, it's the whole concept of, of sports washing, which which um, Saudi Arabia uh, is is doing by investing in English English Premier League soccer, in horse racing, in auto racing, trying to legitimize and spread their kind of you know as like a commercial for for them in a positive way, mixing it up with with other um, economies and trying to make themselves seem like something they're not. Um, so if you're participating in that, it's by choice and, and you have to put your head on the pillow and figure out um, how, how you can rectify that. Yeah, China's done that. it. Russia's done it. Uh, not right now. Russia's done it in the past. China's done it for a while. Saudi Arabia is not big enough to have that kind of influence all around the world, I would say. Uh, do you have a sense? Is it possible? Do you think it's possible? We've seen the last of Phil Mickelson as a golfer. It's. I mean, I think it's on the table this week's mm. absence. Certainly, yeah. um, you know, it doesn't. We have no clear path. And, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing that he's showing up at at the LIV yeah. thing. Um, and, I, and I'm saying that because his whole his whole argument that he could have made in a much better way is, look, the PGA Tour is capitalizing and monetizing stuff that we do we as performers and players and athletes do they they have the rights the media rights to this great flop shot i hit and i should be able to monetize that and we should be able to take more of our the the results of our careers we should be able to profit off of that more than we already do they just play for purses and the tour um, is able to market everything else but that's a fine argument if the alternative is not, um, again, get, taking blood money to, to mm-hmm. counteract that. So um, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that Phil Mickelson is never going to reappear and utter anything in public uh, again. That just seems, you know, he's, he's 51 or whatever he is. Um, that, that seems like too long to just evaporate and never speak again. Um, but again, the, what the reentry strategy is 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 completely yeah. unclear at this point. Well, it'll probably be delayed a little bit because that book, the Shipnuck book, is out now, and there'll be more stuff in that. And then Phil will have to, yeah, Phil's going to have to figure this out. Phil, like so many other, like Aaron Rodgers, a very likable person who thinks he's smarter than everybody else in the room, and you find out, ooh, maybe I'm not. Maybe I took her. Aaron Rodgers took a big hit because of COVID, and Phil's going to take has taken a big hit here. I'll move on. Um, I thought that the Boston Celtics won six of the seven games that they had to play, and just by accident, they had to play them and finally had to win four to three. I thought the Caps should have won four to one. I don't know how it's it's unthinkable to me. We just heard Wilbon talk about the meltdown of, of the Phoenix Suns yesterday. It's unthinkable to me that in the playoffs you can have a 3-0 lead in a game and lose that game. What are your thoughts about that? It's, I mean, it's crazy, Tony. And, and I went out there yesterday for their, their breakdown day. And, and there, I've been at a million of these, you know, pack up your locker days for the, for the Capitals over, over time. Um, and, and sometimes you get the feeling that, they're disillusioned and, and, you know, the kind of, you know, we thought we, we played well enough to win rings a little hollow. Um, if you're looking for a deeper explanation, uh, the things that, that they didn't do right to, to close out the president's trophy winning Florida Panthers. Um, I don't know that there is a deeper explanation. I think exactly what you thought they, they could have won. I mean, they've led in the third period of game four, lost in overtime. They've led yeah. three to nothing in game five, yeah. lost five to three. They've led in the third period of game six and lost in overtime. Have to win um, these games. Have to. Yeah. It, it's, it, so it's hard to come up with an explanation other than, and, the, and the, you know, Nicholas Backstrom is a, a nothing if not a 
um, an accountable uh, veteran. And, and his, his point is, you know, we blew it. Alex Ovechkin said the same thing. They just didn't close it out. It, but I also go back to, and I don't think this is quite the same in the NBA as it is the NHL. Um, I think that the, the, you're right about how the Celtics played, and they could have won six out of seven of those yeah. games. In general, in basketball, the team that plays better is going to be rewarded and, and win the series. Um, it's, it's odd that that doesn't happen. In, in game four of the Caps-Panthers series, Capitals are protecting uh, a one-goal lead in the final minutes. Um, Garnet Hathaway, uh, one of their penny, it's a six-on-five situation. The goalie's pulled. He shoots it down the length of the ice. Just and misses. It hits the post mm-hmm. and bounces out as opposed to hitting the post and bouncing in for a three to one lead. Florida gets the face off at the other end. They score the game tying goal and win in overtime. I mean, it's not a stretch to say if that puck is two inches the other direction and bounces into the net, um, that capitals are up three to one in the series. Nothing is guaranteed, but the whole thing is, com- is completely different. So, um, that's four straight first round exits for them since they won the cup. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, whether Alex Ovechkin has another legitimate run uh, at one of these things, because it hasn't happened since they won it all. So they fired the first coach after two years, who was one of their assistants, who went out in the first round twice in a row, and they brought in Peter Laviolette, who I think has won the Cup a couple of times in places, I think, but maybe not. He won the Cup in Carolina, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's an easy thing to say we're going to fire the coach, but the problem is, you know, they're old. You know, there's a difference between experience and age uh, at some point. They seem to have crossed into the other region of maybe just being too old because these are indefensible losses for a team that is really good. They're, you know, it's, I was saying this with Wilbon. I didn't really have to. It, Phoenix wasn't new to the playoffs. They went to the finals last year. That was just awful what they did. They stunk beyond words. The Washington Capitals... You know, they're not new to this, and they've been knocked out four times in a row, right? Is there something – do they have to remake the entire team, or do they just go back and to try to do it again because they got close? Well, so it's kind of a combination of both, and, and Brian McClellan, the general manager, was clear about it yesterday. It's like that their core is old. They have decided to make Alex Ovechkin a capital for life, to make Nicholas Backstrom a capital for life. Those two transformed hockey in this market, and, mm-hmm. and they're being rewarded – for it. And Alex Ovechkin is just coming off a 50-goal season, so yeah. it's not like he's broken. But when you make that choice, um, you are increasing the likelihood that many of your key parts are going to get injured along the way. And it's almost a roll of the dice. Like, are you, is everybody going to be healthy at the right time? The odds of that are, are, are very unlikely. Um, so McClellan was clear, we've chosen to go forward with this core, most of which is on the wrong side of 30, but we have to figure out a way to inject some youth. And, and the, the, the workload and the production, it can't just be like empty minutes from young players just because they're young. The, the, the production and the percentage of production at some point has to shift to guys who are 22, 23, and 24, not 32, 33, yeah, and 34. I agree. Um, and that, and that they're, whether they can do that remains to be seen. That is their intent. They do have a, a number of promising players that are in their late teens and, and um, early 20s. Um, but they've got to show up, and they've got to be able to be trusted when it gets to the postseason, or we're likely to see yeah. um, some version of what just happened again. The NHL and the NBA have been the, all the game sevens are great, even when they're terrible. They're absolutely great. I just I'll get you out of here on this. You probably didn't see this yesterday. Did you see Verlander Soto in the bottom of the fifth? No, it's, oh, no, it's a great moment. It was a great moment. Verlander had his his pitch count was up over a hundred already over, in the fifth. Yeah. Um, and and uh, he had given up no hits till the fifth. He gave up two, so you have two on and two out, and Soto comes up in the righty-lefty that that you sit. You know, you just say, this. I don't care about anything else. I just want to see this. And Verlander got him to tap it right back to the mound. I was just, it was, you know, it was one of those moments where you say, well, this is this is baseball. This is your, it's well, the I, edge of your seat. It was really good. And that's, and that's, I mean, you know, we've talked about this, and I, I think it's, 
you know, particularly if we're going hyper-local on Washington, D.C., the caps are out, the wizards are terrible. You've just turned the page to a summer where all you have is your very bad baseball team. It's bad. And it's my, bad. Yeah, and they're bad. They're bad. Um, my argument is, right now even, um, those moments will happen. It doesn't happen to be have to be... Justin Verlander, it could be Max Scherzer on the mound, it could be, you know, any other prominent pitcher. Um, Soto, as we've talked about, is not off to a blazing start. I still think his at-bats are, are riveting um, because anything can happen at, at any moment. And then, you know, and this is, would be true of any rebuilding baseball team, basketball team, football team, whatever, over the course of the summer, it's not going to be these retread veterans that they're they're running out there michael franco and alcides escobar and and guys who have you know they're only placeholders and and maybe you hope that they become something that you can flip and trade what what you want are the soto at bats and then you want the kids to come up from the minors so that you can establish uh, a relationship and decide who you think you're going to buy your next jersey of or, or who's your, your next guy that, that becomes, you know, Soto when he was 19 or, or you know, when you got initially got attached to, to that person. So it's a process that I think can be fun even when the results on most nights are, are putrid. Yeah, putrid is a good word. <laughs> thank you, Barry. Thank you, thank you. Talk soon. Barry's for Luka, boys and girls. Wonderful. Uh, we'll take a break. We will have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Gonna read some for all you. That's the uh, Abbey Road version uh, by Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren. And they played a concert in front of Helen's house on Friday, on Saturday, oh, Saturday night. Yes, yeah. lovely. We love them very much. You want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, thank you. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. We got the bagel sandwiches today. It's always a great day for us. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. I don't know the music today. Oh, I don't know what I'm oh, going to take a shot at. It. May the good Lord shine a light on you. May Every song, your favorite tune, may the good Lord shine a light on you, warm like the evening sun. I'd take a shot at Van Morrison or Rod Stewart, but I don't know. That's Mick Jagger. That's his song for Brian Jones. I um, didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, off of Exile on Main Street, which uh, okay. turns 50 right okay. around now. So 50. Wish I was 50. <laughs> thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Barry's Verluga. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Freshly Trade Coffee, X-Chair. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. So we have some emails here. And one is not from DG. It's from PG. Oh, it's from PG is Mrs. DG. (laughs) And she writes, it's PG. I once got a sand trap lesson from a caddy on the bear trap at PGA. He said, try and get the sand into the green. It works. Just saying. Now you're getting tips from the whole mishpocha. Shabbat shalom. (laughs) This has to stop. (laughs) From William Isaacson. I've asked my brother Bob Isaacson, not the Broadway brother Isaacson, about his classmate Daniel Baker, who emailed last week about Tom Snyder and Marquette High School. So this is now, now we're going back and forth with Bill and Bob, okay? Bob's immediate reaction was, I can't believe you met that guy. I explained that the podcast email situation, and Bob said Daniel Baker was recognized as the funny guy in his high school class, and on that basis was voted as graduation speaker to replace the valedictorian. So maybe you and Mr. Baker would get along. And I would like to answer your question, what have you got? Last weekend, I had an anniversary of 30 years of being related by marriage to Sophia, along with lovely plans for a getaway to a a two-bathrobe-type situation. Instead of our getaway, Sophia tested COVID positive, so instead of me handing her a bathrobe, I take three trays with meals a day upstairs at home. It's the way the world turns these days, but the 30 years still count as what I've got. From Elliot Olshansky in Comac, New York. 
I wasn't paying attention that closely as you read Len Rubin's email at the beginning of Friday's show, but my ears perked up when he mentioned Chappaqua, and as his email went on, I realized it was one hell of a, a Gretchen Wu moment. I've never met Len Rubin that I can recall, but when he mentioned that his kids went to school with the kids of your friend Larry Gaynon, I realized that I also was a classmate of Larry Gaynon's daughter Gabby and ran against Len's son Andrew for senior class president in 1999 at Horace Greeley High School, although we both lost to Eric Sigmund, who went on to work in the Defense and State Departments back when your golf buddy was in charge. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I heartily encourage you to stop by on your way to or from playing golf with Len at Montauk Downs. We can sit under the geodesic climbing dome I built in the backyard for my two masculine children or head over to Hoyt Farm Park to play bocce ball or visit the sheep left off the Northern State Parkway, left at the light, two more lefts, and you're there. Visiting sheep, that's what I want to do. From Noah, uh, from NASA. Right, Noah from Nassau. That's While right. listening to Friday's show, I had a double Ald David Aldridge moment when you read an email from Matt Turner who reported on David Aldridge moment about Drew Goodman having gone, both gone to Fox Lane High School in Bedford, New York. I know that school. I went to that school. So who was Matt's favorite teacher? Mr. Kluge, Dr. Dicker, Dr. <laughs> Micah? I'll take my answer off air. This is getting too much for me. From Carla Corrado, who we love in yes, Columbus. Yes, we love Carla. On Friday's show, Bob Ryan described his relationship with Doc Rivers as high-level acquaintances, <laughs> an eminently creative concept I will borrow when needed. If someone in my tangential circle asks me to help them move, I can suggest that privilege is reserved for friends, and that while you, the mover, and I, the one you are trying to exploit for labor, are high-level acquaintances, I limit packing by boxes and schlepping them across town for friends. Thanks, Bob Ryan. Okay, this is very long. This is from Frank Kelly in Situate. Do I pronounce Situate correctly? Situate, yes, you got that right, yes. Tony pronounced it right the last couple of emails, be it a couple of years ago. But Friday's conversation with Bob Ryan reminded me of a DA moment from the past. It's December 1979. I'm in my first post-college job in the middle of the Jimmy Carter recession, tending bar in what would now be called a quaint seaside dive but we referred to as a bucket of blood. Ask Nigel's cousin for that on Nantasket Beach. Sounds N right. Nantasket yeah. Beach, the South Shore's answer to Rivea. The Celtics are playing the Lakers in L.A. It's a Friday night, and this is the first meeting between Larry and Magic as professionals. So CBS is showing it live as it's late night on the East Coast. It's getting near closing time, and the five or six customers left and me are watching the game, and one of the regulars says, I can't believe the Lakers did that. Took Baylor's number down from the rafters for this kid. I say, no, Baylor wore 22, not 32. But this guy was so sure he was right, he took out a 50, and he said, I'll buy around for everyone, and you keep the rest, Frankie, if I'm wrong. Being this is 1979, way before Google or the internet, I say, who do you trust for the answer? And he says, Bob Ryan. I say, okay, grab the phone, call long-distance information for the forum. Call there, ask for the press box, get the box, ask for Bob. And the person says he's sitting on the floor, I'll transfer you down. As we are watching the game, we see Ryan get up from his seat. <laughs> Walk over to the scorer's table and pick up the phone. Hey, Bob, I'm calling from Al's in Nantasket. I need you to settle a bet. What number did Elgin Baylor wear? Bob says 22. I have him repeat it for the other guy who handed me the 50. Big money in 79. I thanked him. Gave him the news that BC had won a big game in the Madison Square Garden Holiday Tournament that night. The Rick Kuhn, Jim Sweeney, Henry Hill, Goodfellas BC team. We hung up and saw Bob go back to a seat on press row as the ball was brought up court. Best $40 tip I ever made. <laughs> we have to save this for Ryan. Isn't that That's amazing? an absolutely amazing story. <laughs> right? Yes. It's an amazing story. Now, we'll do a couple more. From Christina Ferguson in Fort Hunt, Virginia. When you mentioned the foul ball that almost hit Bonnie at the Nats-Mets game last Tuesday night, I yelled into the ether, I know that foul ball. I was the one who scooped it up while holding two chicken sandwiches after it bounced out of your swanky box. I'm counting this as my first David Aldridge moment. Any chance you know where I can get a Mr. Met head on a stick? You can get it from Bonnie. Regards to the crew, especially Miss Edith Saliza. And from Damon Sims in Seattle, Washington. I'm glad to hear you made it to a Nats game. You mentioned having a sandwich and a little wine. Did you follow up with a dessert crust from your pocket? <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear what? You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black. And you're yellow. an idiot. That's why you lasted two years. <laughs> that got away Chasing dreams in Monterey 
Like sun followed by a rainy day Or snow followed by the month of May You and I were fire night There was a fascination You had near a desert Can I get a little sympathy? Is there more for you and me? Seasons end and come again. And that summer that we spend together will always be one I'll remember. Skipping rocks on the Colorado River, laughing cause we didn't know any better. Fall in love just like we did. The days that we would spend in the sun till we turned red Then later on somehow we'd end up downtown I get a little ecstasy when I think about your memory And the way you kiss me So I'll pour you a mojito. 
feels like a TV show Yeah, I'll pour you a mojito Sit and dream.